Um, and this is where America fell apart. So we had a very famous Taekwondo player who got embroiled in a sexual scandal. Why? Because he had no tradition. He didn't bow. He didn't have a guy above him that was taking care of him. When we were on the U.S. team, we didn't have those problems. I had... For over 260 episodes, Dwayne Brummett and Ali Albarigo have been sharing how to take your martial arts school to the next level. Welcome to another edition of SchoolOwnerTalk.com. Now here's your host, Dwayne and Ali. Hello, Dwayne Brummett here with Ali Albarigo, SchoolOwnerTalk.com. Uh, good morning, Alex. Good morning to you, Dwayne, and we are here with an amazing guest today. I cannot, yeah, I can't believe how lucky we are right now. Not only, and it's really interesting um, how our lives are very parallel um, because um, he did the music business thing, he did the acting thing. I've done the music business thing, then I went into acting. I felt like I had more control over acting. Then, uh, of course, a whole time doing martial arts. And uh, now, uh, you know, he's a, an Olympic coach for uh, karate and taekwondo. So without further ado, let's just jump right in. This is uh, Grandmaster uh, Perez. And um, Herb, it's awesome to have you here today. I mean, what an incredible uh, call this is and show this is going to be. Well, my pleasure to be here. And as always, you know, I remember a very long time ago when we first met, and it's my honor for you to ask me to be here today. Thanks again, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we met a while ago, a long time ago. And I have to say, um, one time my daughter was away at college. I don't know if you remember this. And some girl was running around the campus saying that she was on the Olympic team in Taekwondo. So I, oh. said, I said, I'll just call my friend. If, and my daughter's like, can you find out if it's real? Dad, do you have any connections? I'm like, sure, I have a connection. So I called you up or texted you. You immediately called me on the phone. You're like, nah, she's never been on the team. It was a total well. fake. But well, we, we, there's no shortage of um, there's no shortage of people um, that do that sort of thing, and it's unfortunate. But you know, it's uh, I met a person once who introduced himself as me. So oh yeah, uh, yeah, that was my favorite one. It was actually back in Jersey, and he had handed me his business card, and it said U.S. National Champion, U.S. Middleweight Olympic Champion. I was like, I looked. I thought I gave him my card, and uh, wow. It, interesting guy in my town and then he put up an olympic flag on his school wow so i uh which is illegal by the way so i uh, i just mentioned to my students i said yeah there's an olympic flag flying somewhere else in this town and by sunset it shouldn't be flying anymore so the next morning they came to practice because we had a 5 a.m practice with the olympic flag on the back of their car so uh, suffice it to say i think he moved to Flor <laughs> he moved to florida that's funny. I once had a similar story. I was in a mall and a guy flashed a tattoo of a nin symbol, which is my style. And um, and it was my symbol that we have on our school. And I asked him, I'm talking to him. I have my jacket on similar to yours that you're wearing with your shirt with my name on and everything. And I said, yeah. to him, where do you train? And he says, oh, I train at Long Island in Jitsu Centers. And I'm like, oh, and he went through this whole thing. He's telling me he's one of my top students. He's been a private yes. instructor. And he goes, so what's your name? And I said, uh, Ali Alberigo, and he literally slowly did a slow turn and he walked and away because he was lying about being my student, not realizing I'm the guy that he's lying well, to. Well, I mean, just so we have other things to talk about, I'll give you my part two of that story. The, the way uh, I became aware of it was somebody came to my school and on, you can imagine on my school, I was teaching in a health club at this point, 
um, is before I opened schools and I had, they had the Olympic stuff up, you know, an article about me at the Olympics. So this guy comes in and says, oh yeah, I'd like to, I'd like my daughter or son to start training. I go, that's awesome. He go, well, where do you train now? And they go, well, you know, I train with the Olympic champion. I go, really? I said, where would that be? And they, they kind of tell me stuff and I go, yeah, <laughs> we're not going to be able to take you here. You're going to, on the way out there, you might want to look at that door. You're, you're not smart enough to train here. But that, obviously, I hadn't taken all your business advice at that yeah. point. So um, I was down one student, but I was better for it. No yeah, that's amazing. So today, Dwayne, we have kind of like a controversial, I mean, I don't know if it's going to offend somebody when we talk about um, Olympic karate and, and Taekwondo in the Olympics and what your thoughts are on that and also the state of Taekwondo in general. Um, you know, so there's a lot to chat about to really unpack in this call. So, Dwayne, do you want to get started with Well, and, yeah, and real quickly, this is, I mean, totally uh, off, but maybe on topic, is you got to be pissed, right, that um, the uh, the Olympic, uh, well, not, not Olympic, but the Taekwondo on AGT didn't win this year. So, I mean, the, uh, you know, for me, Olympic Taekwondo left the building a long time ago. So, you know, the version, and, and I don't, I, I think it suffice it to say, I, I'd love, I want to talk a little bit about Olympic karate and I want to talk a little bit about Olympic Taekwondo, but there has been a slow um, de-evolution of our sport based on the original problems that we had in our sport. So when I was doing it, and I, and, and remember that every generation that came before us probably thought, their Taekwondo was the right Taekwondo and ours was garbage. So right. my, ge my generation of my instructor and the instructors before them, they were truly tough guys. I mean, they were gangsters in Korea. You know, they, were, they had been occupied by Japan. They went to Japan to learn karate, came back, brought that karate to, to Korea, called it Korean karate, then called it Tang Sudo, then called it Taekwondo. They were tough guys. They could truly fight. They were really good fighters and it was full contact with wooden kendo armor on. The version that I learned, and I went to Korea, was probably one of the most sophisticated versions of it. It was full contact, it had a lot of footwork, it was head kicks, no protection. And uh, then as the Olympics came in, we started to add more protection. And the peak of our sport was about 2008. Maybe. And then there was such prevalent cheating by the Koreans and the Koreans in Korea, which was historical and part of their sport. Um, and then there was prevalent cheating around the world by the Koreans. And I had been subject to it a couple of times. Um, so much to the fact when I won the World Cup in Helsinki, the Korean wouldn't even get on the award stand. They took him 10 minutes to draw, dry, drag him up to the award stand. But it got so bad in 2008 that the Olympic, International Olympic Committee called for change. And so I was part of that um, evolution revolution, if you will. And we created a new scoring system that would reward success and technical acumen and didn't focus on punishment. Koreans as a culture focus on punishment. It's just the way they operate. So when we created this, Dr. Steve Kapner and I, it was more points for more difficult techniques. If you did a round kick, it was one point. Back kick, two points, because it was the answer to a, it would encourage people to round kick and back kick counter. And it was still full contact. And it was spinning kicks to the face for four points and, and, and such. They realized that 
the biggest problem they were having were the cheating referees. The referees were either incompetent or cheated or both. And the stakes became higher at the Olympics because Korea really wanted to beat Japan and China in the medal count. And this was one of the ways they could add eight to 10 medals to do so. Well, they then decided, the Olympic Committee, they were going to try this electronic scoring system. So you can imagine it's a contact-based system. So it can't tell the difference between this, which is not a technique, or this, which is a technique. So with all that, they didn't want to give the referees back power because they were cheating or they were incompetent or both. And so they're like, well, the system kind of sucks, but it sucks for everybody. So what we have now, if you watch the current version of Olympic Taekwondo, is really garbage. It's worse than point karate. It's worse than the worst yellow belt point tournament you've ever seen in your life. On the other side, Olympic Karate had an outstanding event, had an amazing uh, form event, had an amazing fighting event, because they have stayed true to their fighting format. Now, whether you like it or not, or you believe it's correct, at least it makes sense. So when you're watching it, you see something and you say, oh, I see how that could happen. You watch Olympic Taekwondo, you have no idea what happens. So there's a huge call now in Korea for the reformation. And the only reason is Koreans lost. They didn't win a single medal. And so now all of a sudden, oh, there's a problem because we didn't win. Well, there's been a problem for 20 years and uh, you needed to fix it. Now it's time maybe they'll fix it. Can you explain uh, the difference between the, the, the karate uh, portion of the sparring and compared to the taekwondo for the listeners? So for karate, they still use referees. So you have a head referee, you have corner judges, and they judge the point. So they'll stop after each point like they do, and they'll say it's a point or it's not a point. So it's very discernible. In other words, you'll see they only score, they say, let's say reverse punch is a point. Now, in order to score a reverse punch, it's got to be properly executed to the proper part of the body with the right amount of contact or no contact, and that's all they score. So in Taekwondo, they no longer talk about technique. If a foot or a hand with a protector hits something and it goes on the board, that's a point. Well, it may not have been a technique. The old rules of Taekwondo said if you don't execute a proper technique with proper force. Right. We won't score it. Now, if you do proper technique with proper force, you had to make the body be displaced by the power of the blow. Well, that does two things. And people think it's just about contact. It's not about contact. In order to kick with that sort of power, you have to commit. Once you commit, you're open to counterattack. And that's where the beauty of the sport has been lost. Because now all you have to do is touch. You can imagine all you have to do is lift up your front leg and put your foot somewhere in the general area, that target area, it's going to score an electronic point. So if you watch it, you know, what I always encourage people to do, and if I had more free time, I'd do it, is watch 1988, 1992, 2000, 2004, 2008. Then watch anything after that, and you'll see a, a diminution, a de-evolution of technique. Won't be back in for Paris and won't be back in for London. I mean, for uh, Los Angeles. Why, why do you think that is? Why, why is it not coming back? Because the host country gets to add the sports it wants to the list. Ah. So if I, if I, I think, I think jujitsu will be added because of its popularity. Um, 
And then some of the myths around martial arts have kind of gone away. And what I mean by that is there was this idea that you had to wear equipment in Taekwondo because what we did was so deadly, you couldn't absorb the blow without equipment, safety equipment. Well, right. watch MMA. <laughs> Guys get elbowed in the face, you know, bare-fisted to the face. They <laughs> get kicked in the body, full contact, and they walk away. So that myth has kind of gone away. So the only purpose for a chest protector, which actually hinders body motion, is as a scoring device. In karate, they went the other direction. They're like, we're so deadly that one shot, one kill, um, we can't let people do it. So we're going to have no contact or light contact. Right. Well, that's nonsense, nonsense too. I think you have to go back, which is you know a topic that I think is important, is the original purpose of martial arts was warfare. It was to defend yourself in war times or against an enemy, and it was meant to be deadly and whatever else. At the moment where you understand that, then that's what you reward. In fencing, you have to strike in a certain way with a certain part of the blade in order to score a point because the idea was there are target areas that you would die from, and that's a point. So they've kept their martial intent. In judo, they've kept their martial intent, right? They've had their own set of challenges. In Taekwondo, that martial intent has gone away. Now we have a game of foot farting, touching, you know, whatever you tall, skinny, tall, skinny non-athletes, um, dancers can do Taekwondo. What what is Olympic Taekwondo now? And so, you know, what I always encourage people is, well, let's do this. Let's take one of today's current athletes and let's put them in a gym, and then I'll give you one of my athletes, right? And we'll put them we'll put them in a match. And we'll see what happens. So no, no electronic scoring, no nothing. Let's see what happens. So yeah. I just hosted a tournament uh, this past Sunday. Uh, we have a circuit in the area called New York Tournaments. And uh, we usually, before COVID shut us down two years ago, we would do five a year. But um, it's point, point uh, karate, you know, kind of sparring. Yeah. However, we have a, in New York, we have some pretty hardcore, hard hitting, strong fighters. But I do agree with you. Like people have learned the game so well that they could just cover up so that they can't get hit. And we changed our rules in our in our league, in our in our circuit, where if they are covering up and they're getting hit, they're getting the points being called anyway, because, yeah. um, you know, they're not allowing any area to be open to be hit because they're just running around the ring covering up. So it's changed quite a bit in the last, you know, 10 years to, to uh, yeah, you have to look at, I mean, and this is where we fail America, we fail the world as, as martial artists. You have to look at the intent of what the original sport was, and that is what it is. Then you have to design a scoring system that rewards that. And then you can punish things that, that um, don't reward that. So, for example, the question's always been raised, why don't you allow people to punch people in the face in Taekwondo tournaments, in Olympic style? The reality is if you can punch somebody in the face, it changes the dynamic of the original intent of scoring, right? Right. So you you take that out of the rules. Just like in basketball, you can't tackle a guy when he's going for a shot. If you could, right. it would change the game. Right. So I think that I think that that global look needs to be done both at the rules for karate, taekwondo point tournaments. And I agree with you, New York is where I grew up. And some of the toughest fighters I fought were not in Taekwondo. I fought a lot of tough guys in Taekwondo, but was at Henry Cho's All-American where I would yeah. fight, you know, crazy, you know, street hoods. Yeah, the city that guys. Train, 
Yeah, the guys that trained in the hood, you know, they weren't right, right. They, they weren't training in a dojo, they were training on a street corner. And yeah. it was there, they were watching The Last Dragon every other day. And they, yeah, thought, exactly. you know, they, they thought they were sure enough. So, you know, I fought a yeah. handful, I fought a ton of those guys. But yeah. um, it, it made me a better fighter. It was nothing right. more fun for me than fighting anybody and everybody that showed up. And the, the true test of a tournament back then was Henry Cho's All-American, the guy that yeah. won that. You know, so you ended up with guys like William Oliver, yeah. Mark Williams, Mike Warren, Chuck Norris, you know, Mitch Barbro. We had Frankie Delgado. So the, the list of guys who won that tournament, if you really looked at the list of people that won the tournament, they were total yeah, hard, badasses. Hardcore. They could fight. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let me ask you. I'm sorry, Dwayne, go. I, I was just going to say, I think there's there's one basketball player that would beg to differ, and that would have been, you know, uh, Dennis Rodman. You know, he I think he would oh. Well, he can, you know, like, you got to respect, like, when you watch basketball, it's kind of like hockey. There are guys that play the game with finesse, and my kid plays basketball, he's not going to be 900 feet tall. So I'm like, you better be a finesse player, you better be a little agile monkey, get out of the way. Then there are guys that are big and strong and can visibly uh, make people not want to be in front of them. And that's a Dennis Rodman. He was, he was a thug, but he had, he played his part and was needed and exactly the part he played. So, right, yeah. right, yeah. I, I was a little of both in Taekwondo. You didn't. I tried my best to make sure you didn't want to be hit by me, and if you got hit by me, it was not something you wanted to do twice. So that way, because I was small. I was fighting middleweights and heavyweights, and so as a guy who was in my mind six foot two, I was only five foot eight or five foot nine. <laughs> so when I fought, you know, I fought a German guy who was seven foot one. So, you know, I wanted to make sure that when he got hit, it hurt a lot. And I made sure I wasn't anywhere near him when he wanted to hit me. So right, right. So you mentioned in in the in the past uh, comments about like uh, the traditions of Taekwondo, old style versus new. And I think you said that, and I love what you said that as the America, we're failing as far as the martial arts goes. And and I've had and Dwayne, I've had people on. Um, where I've debated people on kata and tradition, and um, and then we get into the debate like uh, you know tradition is nothing more than something that's been done over and over again. But being a person that has seen the de-evolution of martial arts, like I have had, it's really disappointing to me to see the direction that martial arts has gone, where the history, the culture, the very essence of what martial arts was is disappearing. Um, in, right. many, in many schools, not all. And there are those guys that are considered dinosaurs now that are holding on to the old ways, right? And people say, well, they're not evolving. But um, what's your thoughts on, you know, martial arts in general and the direction that it's going? Because it seems like that's something that you have a passion for. I'm just thinking you need more guitars on your wall. I got a lot more guitars on my wall. No, I, I, have, I think my, the, uh, mine, are, mine are all over, though. They're like a wraparound. I, I, I know you got to hide them. You got to hide them. Exactly. So the, uh, <laughs> mine, that's the, mine are all on the backside too. I don't want to tell people. Yeah. On the and the, you, uh, go I saw I saw a funny meme the other day where it was the guys from the Goodfellas or something. They're all in that picture laughing, and then the the line said, "And my wife said I have too many guitars," and they're all just oh. laughing. <laughs> well, so you know, to answer your question, it, it's um, the de-evolution of martial arts has done a disservice to America in two ways. <clears throat> One. Um, there was a point in time when in order to do martial arts, you truly had to be a physical athlete. You had to condition yourself and you knew there was going to come a point in time where there were rigors 
that you would have to go through. And there was a lot of tradition that was created by your instructors. I had the good fortune to train with um, traditional martial artist, Master Kim, who passed away. But the person who taught me the most about tradition was probably Sifu Paul Vizio. Huh? And Sifu Vizio is a traditionalist. And he explained to tr tradition to me in a way that made a lot of sense. He said, tradition is what you make it. So if you, whatever your tradition is, that's what becomes the tradition of your school. So he was always good at creating traditions on how we did things, why we did things. That conversation then expands into the purpose of forms or katas or plumse, as they say in Taekwondo. And to be clear, the Koreans stole plumse from the Japanese. They didn't have plumse. They didn't have a martial art. They were taught Shotokan, and the first Korean forms were Shotokan forms. Mm -hmm. Then they took those Shotokan forms and they didn't know what else to do with them. So they created things that look like Shotokan forms. Now um, they're trying to create a new set of forms that really do what Taekwondo does. And I think that makes more sense for a kicking sport to have one kick in a form and 95 punches doesn't make any sense right. for a kicking sport. So anyway, with regard to forms, I think there is a value to the tradition because what it teaches you is patience, perseverance, determination, and teaches you how to make exact motions. And I spent a long time, I never competed in forms except when forced, but I spent a long time doing them because they were valued in our school. So that tradition of doing them is an esoteric, intrinsic value. So it's esoteric in the sense it's hard to define, but it's intrinsic in itself. So the purpose of that middle block or those double knife hands is in and of itself important, just like in dance when they do this motion, it's important because there's a way to do it and that's what makes it an art. So if I were to make a way of making my finger go like this and I perfected it and I said, this is the way it is, that would be the standard. And you find right. that in music, you find that in art, you find that in culture, you find that in everything. With regard to what it's done to America though and to people in general, when you expand that to the fighting tradition, once you make a disconnect between the general purpose of what your martial art is and what you practice, now you've done damage. So originally, when you did forms, you did forms for their own reason. And when you competed, the forms were done in a certain way for the same reason. That's what was right. valued. When you taught fighting in your school and kicking, what you taught in your school, you could directly take to a tournament and win with. So if you did a round kick in your school, you practiced it a certain way, you took that same round kick to a tournament, you can win. There would be slight tweaks to win in strategy, but the technique remained the same. Right Now what's happened in Olympic Taekwondo is there's a third or a fourth thing you have to do, which is how do you score a point on an electronic chest protector? And it has no practical value because you could do like a hook kick to the body, which the bottom of your foot, it'll score two points. I would love for somebody to come up and hook kick me to the body. And then I would punch them as hard as humanly possible in the chest and they would die. Right. Because it has no practical value. So now when you do this, what you do is you create this game that has no connection to your original intent or purpose, and more importantly, has no value. It would be the same as if in jujitsu, um, and I don't do jujitsu, uh, but it would be the same in jujitsu if they created some weird little finger lock that had nothing to do with anything. And at the moment you were trying to do it, the other guy was choking you unconscious with a guillotine or whatever. Right. So though in, in jujitsu, that stuff kind of goes away pretty quickly. 
Right. By the way, in M- MMA, it goes away pretty quickly because they invent new ways to hurt people, right? right? So we would have never thought to drop an elbow on a guy while we had our hands on him. But they look and they go, oh, that would be a good idea because it would hurt a lot. So MMA, I, while I'm not a um, fan of its lack of tradition and respect sometimes, I am a, I am a fan of their evolution of learning how to defend themselves and hurt people. And then the true martial artists in MMA, like the Gracies and guys like that, they still have a culture and they maintain it. So I, I think that's the difference. So we as a martial art, though, we've lost a lot of that. Um, and we've lost it for two or three reasons, some of which I've said. But the other one is culturalism, where, you know, we have guys and you've seen them, especially in New York, where they're more Japanese than the Japanese. They yeah. they walk around in fake Japanese uniforms with fake Japanese traditions and they do fake. We have in Taekwondo right. I know. and they do it. They, yeah, they do a disservice. So, you know, in my school. We, we, have, we hang an American flag. I could hang a Puerto Rican flag. I could hang a Polish flag. I could hang a Korean flag, but we're in America. So I hang the flag of the country that I teach in. If I were in uh, Cuba, I'd hang a Cuban flag. So I think it's important to recognize. Um, I, I think people have to start asking why. Right. And then and they'd be better off. Yeah. Any thoughts, Dwayne? Any other questions? No, I, I think it's extremely interesting um, that, you know, you talk about the de-evolution of, of, of martial arts and it coincides with the, uh, the lack of tradition, the lack of, um, I don't want to say respect, but, you know, I, I, and it, for lack of a better term, that I think that that's true, uh, that, that, they, that they coincide. And so that's quite interesting you know, would you, could you call yourself a traditionalist then? So what I will say is this, um, when you enter, when you enter anything and I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a philosopher by training and that's my passion. And so what I like Plato's Republic, cause in Plato's Republic, he talks about stages of life. So he talks about the point where you're young and you're a student then you become a public servant then you become a soldier, then you become an academic then you become a philosopher, then you become the, the torchbearer, the, the guider. Um, and what I like about all that is if you accept that, then when you enter into an arena in the past, when you were in the Middle Ages, you were a craftsman. So you would get on the bench and you'd learn woodworking or, or iron making or whatever. And you were just a guy with a hammer. The master craftsman over 20 years would teach you his craft so that you could replace him. So there was a tradition. In England, there's an old boy, young boy network where they take a young student and they guide him through Oxford and Cambridge. In Korea and Japan, they have, uh, Koreans call it Sunbei Hubei. In Japan, they call it Senpai Kohai, I think. And they have yeah. senior-junior senior relationships. In, uh, in Chinese, uh, they have Sihing, you know, senior. Um, what that does is it, first of all, teaches you time and place. So when you ask me if I'm a traditionalist, I am. When you come to my facility, I don't tell you to bow. I don't even have a conversation about it. You make a choice to bow because you look around my room and you see everybody else get on the mat and they bow. When they leave, they bow. Now, when you ask me why we bow, and I learned this from Sifu Vizio, because he asked somebody, he says, why did we bow? And they said, to show respect. 
Instead of respect for who? Well, respect for you. No. Not for me. You bow because you have respect for yourself. You understand right. what you're doing, where you are, what you're doing, and so you bow. And when he said that, it made so much sense to me that it resonated with me because I no longer had to make a choice when I bow whether I knew anything about that person. Right. I didn't, ha- I didn't have to make that choice. I have respect for what I do, how I do it. So when I ride my bicycle, I, I wear certain clothes. I do certain things. I'm part of a club. When I ride with other cyclists, I know that when you, you're going to do this, there's a thing you need to do. You don't do certain things in cycling. You spit down as opposed to spitting sideways because you don't want to spit on a guy who may be trying to pass you. So you learn all the rules. The best book on that is um, Tom Wolf's The Right Stuff. He talks about astronauts. And in that book, he talks about the unspoken code of being an astronaut. You don't talk about plane crashes because it's you, if you're really a guy, you don't talk about it. In martial arts, there are things we don't talk about. You don't talk about being a badass. You're just a badass. You either are or you aren't. And yeah. the, truest, the true tough guys that I know, they don't say anything. You know, the guys who are really great at their sport, one of the most humble guys you'll meet, Mike Swain. Swain's yeah. a quiet guy. You, know, you wouldn't know what Swain is capable of. Right. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a traditionalist in that sense. And I'm a traditionalist in that when you come into the school, you should bow out of respect, not for yourself, but you should bow out of respect for the thing that you're about to do and the hundreds of people that have come before you and right. have enabled you to be able to do it. And then what you do, um, and this is where America fell apart. So we had a very famous Taekwondo player who got embroiled in a sexual scandal. Why? Because he had no tradition. He didn't bow. He didn't have a guy above him that was taking care of him. When we were on the U.S. team, we didn't have those problems. I had 20 Korean coaches watching me. I had two Guys who were captain of the team had been on the team for a lot of years watching me. I had a teammate that was watching me in my room. We followed the rules. We trained. We know what not to do. We didn't get in trouble. That was it. All, all of a sudden, everybody wanted to stop bowing. Everybody didn't want to do this. Everybody wanted to train when they felt like. Part of training is knowing that you're going to have to do things that you don't necessarily want to do, that you don't even think are good for you. So my instructor, my coach on the Olympic team and before every team I was on for eight years, they didn't train the way I wanted to train. They trained for the group or what they thought we should be doing. So I would do that practice quietly. And then after that practice, I'd do my practice because I knew what I needed to do. So I was part of the group, which is part of the culture of what we do. And then I did my individual training. Um, and as a result, we all had good results. We had a great culture we had a great esprit de corps we had great traditions and we had great memories the guys now and i don't want to say this because it's but it's true they have no culture they have yeah. no tradition they have forgotten who gave us this gift now you don't have to love or hate korea japan china whatever the truth is without the koreans and the japanese and the chinese and the indians to be frank yeah. making that journey to china we wouldn't have martial art we might have invented something, but without them, we have nothing. So you should always take a moment to remember that. And I try to do that. I take a moment to remember all those great people. I, I do that with my business relationships. Like I met you originally through um, Century. Yeah. And I had, been, I had been with Bacho for a long time after the Olympics and Mitch Barber from Atomics and, and Steve from Asian World. Century gave me opportunities that um, these other companies didn't. Right. And 
I always remember that. And that's why every year I try to go back to the Maya Super Show and say right. thank you and still help when I can be helpful to those guys. And I think that too often we forget to say thank you yeah. to the people that have given us the opportunity. So I always remember I would not be here without Ki Chung Kim, Master Kim. I would not be here without Sifu Paul Vizio. I would not be here without Mark Williams. I would not be here without Lee Sung Kook from Korea, Steve Kaepner, my friend. I wouldn't be here without my training partners, Kevin Padilla, guys like this. But I tell that story, that oral tradition at every black belt test. So when my black belts sit, I recant to them the journey of my instructor, Ki Chung Kim from Korea to America. And he was brought here, believe it or not, by Mike Swain's instructor. Wow. From from Cranford. And it's a long story, but I tell them that story. Right. And then I tell them the story of my seniors, Anthony Alvarez and Mark Williams and the generation of kids that came out of my thing. Because if we don't tell them those stories, then we're partially at fault. You know, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned a few words, and I think the word tradition is a trigger for many modern martial artists because they feel like maybe um, you're trying to say that I'm not as good as I am or I'm not traditional or I'm, you know, because you are or you're not. So I think the word tradition is confusing because people think tradition is nothing more than something you've done over and over again. But what you mentioned that was really important was that code, that martial virtue, right? The code yeah. that you lived your life by. And, and I love that you said that, you know, I think this is the problem with some MMA fighters. They don't have that mentorship relationship. And what happens is when they run into struggles, they act outlandish, they throw chairs, they do drugs, all these things. No. And that happens with any sport, right? When they don't have the right people in their corner. So the Mike Tyson. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Mike Tyson, you know, he's now coming out of it finally and he's in his 50s, right? He's starting to realize what he opportunities he had that he passed up. Um, but so that code is everything, right? That martial virtue that you said you learned from all your instructors and the team and, and the senpai and the kohai, the seniors, and right. the student relationships. I think that's an amazing uh, lesson. I, I really like what you said. Well, and that the, well, the tradition, right? Tradition puts people in a box and that's what right. they think that there's no freedom when they're in that box. But that's when they really actually do have freedom is when they are in that box. Well, yeah. there's nothing that there's nothing that means that if you're going to be traditional that you can't be in, in, innovative. Now, so <laughs> there was a coach, um, and he's probably one of the smartest guys I've met, and and uh, he was a he was one of my coaches, Sang Chol Lee from um, Colorado Springs. So he he had some he had said something to me a while ago, um, a long time ago when I was on the team, and he was like, "Look at how you're see look at how you're." seniors treat their juniors because that's how their juniors will treat their their seniors yeah and it's kind of the idea look at how somebody treats their parents because that's how they'll treat their, their your children will treat you and when he said that i thought about it and what he was and what he said was as a junior if you disrespect your seniors then one thing is certain your juniors will disrespect you and and it, and it does make some sense <clears throat> and i think what was what, what I've taken from that, so in my new school, I'm opening a new school, and I did this when I first opened, <clears throat> I didn't take certain people. So if I met you and I got a feeling that I didn't like you or you weren't going to be a good fit for us, I simply didn't take you. I said we were full. And so um, my new school, <laughs> I'm doing it like a private school. So I'm going to interview every student. I'm going to interview every parent. 
I'm going to have the student write an essay. We're going to look at that. And within X period of time, we'll make a decision. We'll make an offer to the parent. They'll have 24 hours to respond. If they don't respond, we'll move on to the next person. If we don't think they're a good fit for my school, I may send them to one of my other schools. If I don't think they're a good fit for my organization, we're not taking them at all and we'll send them somewhere else. And we've done this because we have the school we're building here. We've done this, we've accepted some, we've turned away a few. Um, and it's because I want to create an environment that is the environment that I want to create, much as a private school. My kids go to an uh, independent school. And when I applied to that school, there were 30 spots for 600 applicants. They didn't take everybody, but the one thing they did do, I went to that school, I was just here yesterday, they're all great kids. They're nice kids, they fit the environment. So when I walk into my facilities now, I meet sometimes, because my other instructors are teaching, I see people that are not really part of our world. And I'll, I go to my staff and I'm like, let them finish out their agreement, do not offer them another re-up. I don't want to see them. I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to test them for black belt. Right. Just tell them. Tell you can be honest with them, or you can tell them we're just not a good fit for us. And um, and I do this for two reasons. One, when I met Sifu Paul Vizio, he didn't take me as a student. He said no. When I met my Korean instructor, he said no. He saw me. He went, "You're too short. Your hair is too long. You're not flexible enough. You'll never be any good at Taekwondo." I'm like, "Thank you, sir." I said, I'm nine. I'm nine. Yeah. I, go, I need Taekwondo. He goes, all right, if your mother, your mother's got to sign up. So he thought, you know, he didn't think I had my mother. I said, oh, she's downstairs. So I went downstairs, signed my own name, came up. He took me to tell it was a nine-year-old signature. Sifu Vizio, he, I tried to get in his uh, full contact program, which he didn't have. It was under wraps. He, I came up there. I said, sir, I heard you have a, he goes, what? We don't have anything like that. Bye. Get out. I'm like. And the guy that brought me up, Armando, almost got killed after that. He looked at me like he was going to get killed. I then went home. I called up Sifu again. I said, sir, I want to study Kung Fu. And he said, why? I said, I've always wanted to study another martial art. I was already a red belt in Taekwondo at this point. So he says, you know, $50 a month, get a black uniform. Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I came up for three months, you know, so. And then I just trained. I didn't say anything. You know, put on a, a, a white sash. But they, they have black sashes, but they're, uh, no, they have a certain way to do the striping. And then after a certain period of time, he invited me into his other training session. Wow. But he wanted, to he wanted to first see whether I made the grade or not. And then he allowed me to bring, you know, I, the second part of that story, though, here's tradition. He allowed me, because I needed training partners for what I did. So I said, can I bring training partners? He looked at me and he said, they're not going to last. So I said, okay, sir, but, you know, I need somebody that can train with me. Because all my friends were like, oh, man, you know, what's going on? So I brought up 12 guys at one at a time. And every time I brought a guy up, they'd last one session, two sessions, they'd leave. And then finally, the last one stayed. And he, he actually got to the point, he says, why are you bringing it? They're not going to make it. So the one guy stayed and uh, ended up on the U.S. team with me. But this is an individual that is traditional. This is an individual that lives the Budo, his code. Yeah. He doesn't, this is, you know, you're not going to meet another individual like this. This is a, this is an extra, if there was ever a manifestation of all the martial art um, hyperbole and the, you know, the, the mystical stuff, he's the only person I've seen that's actually come close to it. You know, I'm not saying he can float off the floor, but I'm saying he lives the code. Right. Right. That's awesome. Very cool. 
So, so you're gonna you're basically you're you're creating a private a private school. Uh, you know. Oh, oh yeah. No, no, I don't want to. I got to be honest. I, I, I have. I live in an affluent area. Houses in my area, two, three million dollars. So we get a lot of consumers here that you know they're clients, but they because of their wealth, they feel like there's different rules for them. You know, I, I, and I'm, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be slightly arrogant about this, and 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 uh, and people take this as arrogance. What I've done and what you guys have done in your lives, the amount of time it took us to get to the level we are at now. We are the masters of our crafts. I'm not talking about master instructor, grandmaster instructor. I've been doing Taekwondo since I'm nine. I'm 61. I'm an Olympic gold medalist. I'm a world champion, a Pan American champion, national champion, all American at Henry Cho's. I've got more titles than I can remember as a sport. I've written three curriculums for the Olympic Committee. I've written books. I teach daily. I practice my craft and I'm also well educated, right? So I, I have a lot of education. So if I were if I were a doctor, you'd be flocking to my door for me to do your surgery because I'm not competent. I'm beyond competent in what I do. So once we start treating ourselves with the respect that we should be treated with, others will. Now, if you every kid that walks through your door, if you feel like they feel like they're entitled to be there because mommy has two hundred dollars, well, then they're going to treat you like a two hundred dollar prostitute, a prostitute nonetheless. So, by the way, the price of my new school is $500 a month, $6,000 a year paid in advance. And that's it. And if it sounds like a lot of money, then you need to go down the street. So I want to teach a select group of individuals. I want to spend time with them. I want to help them develop into great human beings. And that's it. That's all I want to do in, in the later years of my life. And I want to have direct impact on their lives. So I've earned, we've all earned that right. What you do, you're an expert at what you're, the life changes when I get those letters of kids going to Harvard, Yale, UC Berkeley, Stanford. I put those in my on my wall. Why? Because that's the impact we have on kids. And I always looked at that and I was like, why don't people? Because when we got into this life skill development business, which is what we're all in now, teaching Johnny not to pee on the floor and be nice to his sister, you know, that's what that's what parents bring them to. We're babysitters in life skill development. I don't think you have to compromise those two. My kids are good students. They're good human beings. And um, they and they don't pee on the floor and they don't hit their sister too. But um, on the other side of that, we need to start valuing ourselves as an industry. We need to start valuing what we do as a service. And we need to stop competing with the guy down the street. You know, I, I mean, in my area, I don't have to compete with anybody. My credentials and my output speak for itself. I feel bad for guys. Like guys try to open up around here. And I'm like, you're not going to survive. You can try, but you better find a way to define yourself other than what I do. So you better come in and do Kung Fu, Wushu, Mushu, or Pushu, because you're not coming in Taekwondo and making any, any impact here. So it, it, it's, uh, it's an interesting, it's, it's interesting. It's an yeah. interesting conversation. I love, I love what you said, though. Like if you took all your credentials or Dwayne or I, if we were a doctor, people would want us to do the surgery. And I don't think Definitely. martial artists, they value stack themselves enough to be able to actually say that. Like, I think that we're all, not all, a lot of us in our own mind, we're worried about the competition down the road. And even though that they may steal a student here or there, we want the people that value us and our system over the price or the yeah. you know, whatever the special they're running or 
And if they don't value that, then they haven't done enough research to really care. Like I just had two parents last night wanting to sign their kids up and we do a 12 month commitment. So the mom says, well, we'd rather do a six month commitment. I said, that's great. There are many other schools that might do that. But, for you, but We do 12 months. So then the mom writes back, well, how about if we sign up for the 12 month commitment book? Can we cancel after six months? I said, that's the very definition of not having a commitment. But this is the mindset of people these days. They don't really uh, understand those, those. And to me, that's kind of insulting. But of course, I can't get insulted because these parents don't know any better. They don't really realize who they're talking to or what's yeah. going on, right? I, I'm a lot more simple like that. I, I, you know, when I, and that's why I try not to sell memberships because I have other people that do it. The reason is I, I have a really simple one. I, I lease my cars. Right. And about about two years into my lease, I usually get a three year lease because that's what they offer. I'm ready for my next car. I want it. I want the newer version of the car or the or another car. But I know I got another year on that lease. Now, I may go in there and say, I'd like to get the car out early, but I'm going to take another three years. So right. Then they'll give me a new car. I said, but I said, I said, do you like your house? And they go, yeah. I go, do you have a mortgage? Yeah. You have to pay it every month? Yeah, you have to pay it every month. How long is the mortgage? 25 years. Well, you want to get out of it. Your choice is to sell your house. That's it. Right, so, yeah, right. I, I always find those I, I find those conversations interesting. That's why um, the guy that used to do this was Tiger Shulman. When he first right. opened, yeah, he opened, he was like, it's $100 a month, $1,200 uh, a year. And we only take, you have to pay for a year in advance. They go, can I pay it off? He goes, yeah, you can pay it off. He goes, you can do a layaway plan. But you can't start till it's fully paid off. So you can, <laughs> right. you can do it like you pay the twelve hundred, then you start. And right. I was like, man, this guy's this guy's got a this way back like man, 30, 40 years. Yeah. You know, I'm like, this guy had a business model. But the reality is that's you know, Nancy Grossbart, who's no longer in the industry, she wasn't a martial artist, but she was at Macho. Nancy taught me um, people will treat you the way you allow them to treat you. So and this, I'm not going to mention the name, but there was a guy in the Midwest who was holding a seminar and it was at a big event like you, huge event. And he uh, had all these guys coming, Chuck Norris and this one and this one. It was right after I won the Olympics. And then he had a friend of mine, a woman who was an Olympic gold medalist from 88. So he's like, he calls Century because I was working for Century and he goes, um, I want to bring her Perez but I wanted to be a backup seminar to this person. Backups, I'm an Olympic gold medal. So Century tells me this and I go, I don't backup seminars. And he wants me to do a demonstration. And I say, I don't do demonstrations. I, I fight, that's what I do. Yeah. So I call, I call, he go, they say, well, can you call him? So I call the guy and I go, um, sir, you know, nice to meet you. I said, I know you don't know me because I'm not in your world, but I said, um, I don't do backup seminars. He goes, oh, you don't do back, I said, no, I'm an Olympic gold medalist. I'm an educator. And the person you want me to back up, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I would never do that. Have them do it. If they can't show up, find somebody else. Uh, well, I want you to do a demonstration. I said, I don't demonstrate. I said, what I do is kick people in the face. I said, so if you want to get somebody up on the stage, I'll kick them in the face. I said, okay. I'm a fighter. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a karate guy. I'm not a kata guy. So he goes, oh, I said, can, and then I, before I end, I go, can I ask you a question? He goes, yeah. I said, you have Chuck Norris coming, right? He says, yes, sir. I go, is Chuck doing a demonstration? And he goes, no, no. I go, well, then neither am I. I right. said, if Chuck Norris does a demonstration, then I'll do a demonstration. 
So he says, oh, you're, this is the point of the story. He says, oh, you're equating yourself with Chuck Norris. And I go, no. By, I said, actually, yes. I'm the Olympic gold medalist. If Chuck isn't doing a demonstration, I'm not doing a demonstration. Right, right. I said, I'm not just a guy. I, I, I should be treated like yeah, yeah. my accomplishment. So the reason I tell the story is it's a funny, well, it's a funny story. Second is, no, I'm not Chuck Norris. He's way better than me. Chuck has done, Master Norris has done everything before everybody else. And when I met him, he was kind enough to do the foreword on my book. And I could see why he is so well-respected and, and ingratiated by everybody. Because he is just, this is a guy that just is an amazing individual. But on the other side of it, we are treated the way we allow people to treat us. So if I had let this individual treat me like that, I probably would have been carrying, you know, pizzas into the event. I went to a school event here where we were doing Champions Day and the principal sees me. And meanwhile, we're donating like $25,000. I got my staff there. We're doing this huge Champions Day. The principal sees me. and She's like, get those pizza boxes. So I'm like, right. But I'm there in a different capacity. So I pick up, I'm a team player. I pick up the pizza boxes. I bring them over. I'm the guy paying for everything. But if that's what you need me to do, I'm here for, I'm here because I want to be here. By the way, I'm glad you have me here because I have access to 750 potential students. Pizza boxes, where are they? I'll carry them. Water <laughs> bottles, where are they? I'll carry them. So, you know, yeah. it's all time and place central too. I'm not saying you have to be a jerk about it, but when it comes to this stuff, it's important to do two things. One, recognize your place in the world. And Buddhists are good about that, I think. They have this sense of that we're all part of the same thing. And number two is, I told you that story about when if a, somebody doesn't want to bow or say, yes, sir, I don't get caught up in it. I also don't teach him. Right. So if I have a, I got a guy that comes in and hits me on the shoulder. What's up, Herb? Oh, nice to meet you. I walk the other way. I don't interact with him. I'll interact with him when he understands the rules, how we work and what we do. Yeah. And it's not mine to discuss it with him. It's somebody else. One yeah. of my students should say, hey, come here for a second. <laughs> you know, but yeah. uh yeah, it's interesting. It, it, it's it's a you have to decide how you want to do what you do, what you want to do, and what you expect from it. And it all goes back to the culture. That's exactly it. You know the, the way people treat you and all of that. So we had two comments. One was from um, Master Mertens, right? And he said uh, it also parallels. We back to the. He commented when we were talking about the degradation of the martial arts. He said it also parallels. Um, degradation of communal morals in general in our society in favor of everything about being about themselves, right? So that was another yeah. one. And then we had uh, another client friend um, that he, he asked a question. He said, but how do I get to the point to, uh, how do I get the point to the parent that it's not about price, it's about value? This is during an intro conversation or do you do it after class? You know, how, how, do you, how do you set your value in a person's mind that doesn't know you? Yeah. Know about so, so, first, so first for Master Burton's, you know, I'm humbled that he would mention, uh, even think about anything that I said. I appreciate that comment. And I think he's absolutely correct. I, there's been a, uh, a demunition in, the, in society in general of mutual respect and keyboard warriors, especially. Like right. in my com community here, we suffer a lot and I personally suffer a lot. Like uh, even on Yelp, I get competitors and jerks on Yelp. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's one of our current challenges trying to raise it, but we can only fix that small word that world that we have. On the second comment, however, it takes courage. And what I mean by that is you're going to have to walk away from some money. And um, I did this in my private life. I was 
um, I was working for Macho and Macho was paying me a certain amount of money and they wanted me to move to Florida at some point. I didn't have any interest in being Sebastian, Florida. So I had to walk away from that money. I went to Century who paid me literally double the money. Century at some point wanted me to go to Oklahoma and they offered me a salary that is what it is. And I was like, eh, maybe it's better if we're just friends and I don't work for you anymore because I'm not gonna let you disrespect yourself with that amount of money. And so with the parent, what they, what they, and this is a challenge of what we do. And this, I'm going to tell you, um, I went to a seminar with Bill Clark, Master Clark, and um, Sergio Van Schmeling. He's actually in town today. Um, He's a great, great guy. Yeah, he I was supposed to have lunch in half of the day. But he, he said, um, he said something to me, which was interesting. And not to me, but to his program director. He said, when you have somebody come into your school, you are, and they are, you're trying to sign them up. You are saving their life. And I went, oh my God, he's right. Taekwondo saved my life. It absolutely saved my life. He says, when you're trying to save somebody's life, how many times would you throw them a life preserver? How many times would you ask them to stop what they're doing and do what they need to do? He says, so that's the amount of times you got to ask for that sale. So when you have that person sitting at your desk and they don't understand the value of what you do, there's a couple of reasons for that. You guys know them all. Either you haven't demonstrated the value enough or they don't understand the value. But, you know, we all have those conversations. Somebody will go to Starbucks and spend $5 every day. Every day. And right. for that same $5, they could pay for your program. And the difference between the Starbucks, Starbucks, you get, you know, 15 minutes of caffeine high. The other one, you could have a lifetime of change. Right. So you have, you have to find that thing well, I always started when I was doing the intros or the sales, I would start with Taekwondo literally changed my life. I was an inner city child and this taught me how to achieve goals. And the goals that I have achieved are manifested on my walls around me. And they're not the only place that you see me in my school is in my office. Right. You go out to the front of my school, you see pictures of kids. You see banners from colleges where my kids got in the year before. That's all you see in my school. And then you right. see the training area. And then the parents see the kids, how they behave on the mat. So it is a challenge. But number one, you got to be willing to walk away from money. Two, you got to leave the door open for them to come back. You can say, I understand we are all money conscious. We're in tough times. I know um, it, it sounds like, a, sounds like a, a challenge or it sounds like a lot of money at this moment, but it is absolutely worth every penny for the change that we're going to have in your child's life, which will probably be fine even without us. Right. But we are part We are part of a team to serve you. And so um, if somebody had said that to me, then I would be like, oh, if somebody said, well, that's the price, kiss my butt. You know, yeah, I'd probably be yeah. out the door too. You know, it's a tough, but it's a, you know, there are going to be people that are not going to understand the value of what you do because they either haven't done it, they haven't seen it, or they don't understand it. So all we can do is try to help them understand it. We can try to manifest it by what we do. And that's it. So I, you know, I, uh, and I always don't like to talk like this because I'm in a unique place. I have, you know, I have something that helps me sell my program easily, the Olympic rings. Right. But if you went to my gym, any one of my Taekwondo schools tomorrow, and you asked them, why is this place called gold medal? What do you think the answer would be? You want us to answer? Yeah. What they don't, 
they, it's, they, the answer that it isn't, they don't have any idea, I would say, at the Olympic Games. The kids, right. the par- parents don't. They go, because uh, nobody will come to silver medal. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. You know, I, they have no, the, at the end of the day, the majority of people that are in that room, they're in there because they came to a birthday party, they came to an intro lesson, they knew a friend, or they heard about you, and they liked what you did, and that's it. The, the Olympic rings, I mean, it, it gets you through certain doors, and people eventually will be proud of that once they learn about it. Right. But the average, the average person, as you know, when they come in your room, what are they looking at? Price, schedule, proximity. So if they drive past your school, it's easy to get to. Then they look at schedule, and if they like the schedule, then they look at the price. And if you give them a value, you're going to be able to sell them. You can't sell everybody. Um, yeah. I went to I went to get my car washed. What does it cost to get your car washed where you guys live? About like twelve bucks. Yeah, for how, me, like how much? About twelve much? to twenty. About twelve to twenty. Inside and outside. Oh, I thought you meant just driving through the car wash. No. Yeah, yeah. no. I would say about uh, two fifty. To get my car washed inside and out, like get a just a regular car wash, forty bucks. Used to be twenty. I'm like, holy Jesus. Forty dollars to get it not detailed, right. just washed. Just oh, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I went to the first one, I was like, I looked at it, I literally drove away. I said, How much? She said 40. I said, That's too much. I'm gonna send a message. I went to the next car wash, which I regularly go to. It was thirty-two, it was twenty-nine to thirty-two dollars. But the woman in front was taking so long. I look at the guy, I beat the horn, he goes, So I drove out. I went to the third car wash. It was $32, but they took me right away. I sat down, had a cup of coffee. So sometimes it's about service. It's going to be about price and convenience depending on the service. Right. So I'm getting my car wash. It's convenience. I'm taking my kid to soccer class. It's about quality. Right. Right. Wow. So our interview, we didn't even get a chance to end on the last thing that we wanted to chat about, which was how do we turn people into martial art athletes and so on. So I'd like to know if maybe possibly in the near future, you'd like to come back and do another podcast. Yeah, at any time. And and that's a subject that I'm passionate about. I've developed a lot of curriculums for. And when I told you about that latest school we're doing, that's um, one of the things we're doing there. So we're we're working on developing athletes using martial arts and then subsidiary and ancillary training to make them better athletes in general. So there are two guys I would suggest you have on the program at some point because they specifically do this. One is Jason Hahn and Dr. Jason Hahn was a world-class athlete and I, he was one of my, I coached him. Uh, I was his head of team. Um, he's out of LA. He's on Facebook, Jason Hahn. He developed a uh, he developed a sports specific training program for parts of the body and martial arts unique things. The right. other guy is, is Tim Thackeray, and he was Jason's um, friend and partner, and also a guy that I was head of team for. And then finally, a guy who was my personal student. He's from up your way. Now he's in Florida. Is Anthony um, Graff, Tony Graff. Okay. So, you know Peter Peter Badatos was my student. Anthony was another one of my students. They both came from the New York area. Anthony is an amazing martial artist. He has a program called Believe Martial Arts in um, Florida, Miami, and he does 
a CrossFit program for kids and a martial art program. Now, they also are interested in this idea of um, how do you make a martial artist the best athlete they can be? Well, you know, you know, it's interesting. We always look at martial arts as our competitive, and we've heard this in the in the industry. The buzzwords is that other schools are not your competition. It's t-ball, baseball, soccer. Yeah, yeah. I took a different approach the other day, and I actually joined all the sports groups on Facebook around my area, and I wrote an article on how to enhance your sport through yeah. march, martial art athletics. And I've gotten huge response from it. Now, you, normally it's like, well, we're better. That's why you should do karate, you know? But really what it is, is like people will take their soccer and they want to take it to the next level. They'll try to find a health coach, a, a strength and conditioning coach. We'll use martial arts to do that. And I took that approach and yeah. I'm loving it. So um, I, I appreciate that. So I'd love to get you back on. Maybe we could get you back on. You could maybe ask one of your friends to yeah. uh, join us on, on it. We'd love to yeah. At any time, send me a note and I'll get those guys on. They're good friends and uh, we, you know, I like them a lot. And then you, you've made a great point, which is the single best thing you can do for soccer, football, basketball, arguably is Taekwondo and karate because right. the, amount of, the amount of lower body work and agility and strength training that they do will help those kids. And then if you've ever, you ever watch a kid's soccer game, they absolutely need Taekwondo and Judo. So they yeah. get, that's you know, for sure. it's a bit, my son, my son's too damn nice. So I was like, you guys start. Yeah. Yeah. Man. So Dwayne, I guess we're right at, at, we're already, believe it or not, we're overtime, sir. I mean, you, my I pleasure to help. Maybe, yeah, we we appreciate do, it, sir. maybe you and I could do some zoom guitar playing together. Any, any time. And by the way, I record a lot. So if you send me some stuff, I'm going to send you, I don't know if you record, I'll send you some stuff if you want to play on it. I'd love to. I'm not that great. I used to be a better player. I'm learning now. I'm taking lessons with the lead guitarist of Whitesnake right now. He's oh every, my gosh. every Thursday he yells at me and uh, and plays amazing. And I get to watch him every every Thursday on stage. But I'm trying to get back to where I used to be. I think she passed away. But if you wanted to get anything else from Lights Whitesnake, you should have got that girl, Katane. Tony yeah. Katane. Oh, Just yeah, yeah, right. To ask him if you can get a picture of that uh, that uh, Jaguar yeah. with Tony. Tony I know, right? Video. That was Tony. a great video. So, Dwayne, awesome interview, right? We had a great time. Thank you, Master Perez. Appreciate Thank you, sir. So much. And um, all right, Dwayne, you want to close up, and we'll play the outro. And I'll be in touch with you, sir. And and let's try to hook that other interview up. That'd be great. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you to both of you for taking the time. Yeah, we appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye. -bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Martial Arts School Owner Talk Podcast. This would not be possible if it weren't for the support of our amazing sponsors. Please check out EliteInsights.com for all your website needs. LeadHunterMedia.com, your online digital marketer and content provider. Academy Kings BJJ Growth Consulting and Management at GrowMyAcademy.com SparkMembership.com The best darn software for school owner manager on the planet. GetKarateStudents.com A martial arts growth consulting company for all your school systems. We will see you next time.